Okay, good evening. Welcome, everybody. We are speaking tonight about a man's role in marriage. What's a man's role in marriage? Okay. So, first of all, before I get into the nitty-gritty, I want to make a comment. And that is that in the past, I have been very careful about speaking about certain things where I'm being recorded and those words can find their way to those to whom it was not intended. And I am going to deviate from that policy tonight. We'll see if I, <laughs> if I uh, think better of it afterward. But uh, for now, this is my plan. I'm going to do something I don't normally do, which is have the conversation I would have if we weren't being recorded. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because if you're here live, you're watching it on Zoom. If you're watching it recording in, on a recording, you're watching it on YouTube. And that means if you're already at those places with that access, then there's a whole lot of other stuff that you are exposed to as well. And just like <laughs> you have to exercise some discretion and self-control not to click on something or continue watching something that YouTube suggests to you that's inappropriate. So too, if you're on this class right now and this isn't for you, if, if you're not a married man, married and a man, then it's not for you. So we're suggesting, we're asking that you exercise some discretion, some self-control and don't continue. This is not for you. Now, if you're not going to listen to me and you're going to continue anyway, well, you have the whole YouTube to explore with that same lack of self-control and discretion. So if that's where you're at right now, then maybe it's better that you hear these things from me than you hear them from somewhere else. So that's basically where I'm at. Um, I'm doing things differently than I've done it in the past. I think it's a little bit of a different world today. I think that today, Bahram are exposed to a whole lot of stuff that we were never exposed to. My uh, 22nd wedding anniversary was yesterday. Mazel tov to my wife for making it um, <laughs> to that point. <laughs> she, she stayed alive to that point. Um, I'm telling you, when I was a Bachar, we did not have exposure the way that the Bachram today have. So I'm just sort of recognizing the reality, and I'm going to say that I'm going to talk about the stuff that we need to talk about, and I'm sorry if that ruffles any feathers. I can virtually guarantee that nobody's going to hear anything inappropriate for me uh, for the first time. Anything that you hear that you shouldn't hear, because you shouldn't be watching this, because you disregarded my, my warning at the beginning, you've already heard from other sources 
that are not speaking in a context of Yiddish Shemaim and Kedusha. So did I say enough of a disclaimer? I hope so. All right. So that is my disclaimer. Uh, all right. So let's, I'm going to take your questions, and I have some of your questions. But before I do that, I want to ask a question. How about that? I'm going to ask a question. Here's my question. A bacher has a whole side of himself that he has no kosher way of expressing. And without belaboring the point, let's just say that there's a great deal of uh, avoiding that aspect of human nature for all the years that you are single. And then one day, Azotov, you're married, you're a married man. And that side of yourself suddenly has a way of being expressed. And not only it has a way of being expressed, it has uh, a way of being expressed as a mitzvah in a context of Kedusha. So now, in one day, in one moment, you say, and something that went from being absolute prohibited, absolute off-limits, absolute out of sight, out of mind, avoid at all costs, has now flipped in one moment to being a major part of your life. So that, that alone will give you whiplash. <laughs> that that kafakela, that, that, uh, that slingshot there. But the question is, when you make that transition from Bacher to younger man, from a single person, to a husband. How does it work exactly? Explain it to me that something that was so prohibited, so, uh, so fraught with, with spiritual danger, so uh, connected to to impurity and 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 sin and I'm I'm using scary words but I'm I'm using them for a reason. Let's let's just say it as it is. We know that falling into this area can drag a person to to the depths. So how does that same thing in one instant flip around and become become holy? It's 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 wild. Explain that to me. How it just takes a one eighty and becomes the opposite. Now it's holy and it's spiritual and it's the the holy of holies, Kedush Hakadoshim, and it's it's like Kruvim and it's it's Hashem and the Jewish people and it's Shir Hashirim and it's beautiful, pristine. So one minute ago 
it was Aviyah Vais Hatoma, and now it's Kedesh Kedashi. Boom, boom. Like, how did that happen? And I think that this question, I'm not asking this as a philosophical question, because I think that this question troubles a lot of younger light. Not that they articulate the question the way that I am, but that the lack of an answer to this question is causing problems, whether people know how to formulate this question or not. And what I want to try to do is explore a little bit about what changes from before the chasana to after the chasana vis-a-vis our own relationship with our own, I'm going to use the word once, human sexuality. Use the word once, that's it. I don't have to use it again, but that's what I'm speaking about. I'm speaking about the desire that Hashem implanted within the human psyche to to search for completion through bonding with one's other half. How do we suddenly make that transition where that becomes a super important part of our lives when we just got 25 years of practice. I, I was 25, I got married. 25 years of practice completely suppressing that and pretending like we don't have those urges, even though we know they're human urges and that, of course, they come up. And, uh, you know, in the Perech of Zion of Tanya, when the Alter Rebbe talks about people having hirhurim, uh, that uh, distracting thoughts. So he says, hirhuri niuf. He actually, the one example he gives are erotic thoughts. And he actually says of a, of a permissible nature, being beheter v'chulu, or of a per, uh, prohibited nature. Meaning to say when the Alter Rebbe wants to give an example of the kinds of things that pop up in our mind, that's the first example that he gives because it's, it's a universal struggle. So we, we have this struggle for 25 years or however long it is where we're constantly trying to suppress that, you know, like when you go to the... Uh, the arcade and you have the, the whack-a-mole game where you're hitting the, the little gophers pop up and you got to hit them down. So you have the machshava zoda, bam, and you hit it down, up, hit it down, okay? And then it becomes a mitzvah. How do you handle that? What do you have to flip in your mind in order to, to handle that transition? Okay. So I'm going to tell you like this. Let's talk a little Mashpia Makabal. Oh, I know you're going to say Mashpia Makabal. I heard Mashpia Makabal. I understand Mashpia Makabal. I heard it so many times. Okay. Uh, you're going to hear it again. But I'm going to speak about Mashpia Makabal in a little bit of a, uh, maybe a different way. What is a Mashpia and what's a Makabal? So we often translate Mishpia and Mikabal as a giver and a recipient. Giver and recipient. Mishpia is the giver, Mikabal is the recipient. It's actually not such a helpful translation because it's not accurate. Because 
if you look at any true mashpia makabel relationship, the makabel ends up giving back to the mashpia more than the mashpia gave to the makabel in the first place. You know, that's the difference between a makabel and a klikibel. A klikibel is a receptacle, not a recipient. <laughs> receptacle means, you know, uh, put your keys in the, in, the, in the ashtray, and then when you need to find them, take your keys back out. They're the same keys that you put there. Or you, I don't know, you put some water in a cup and you come back later and you find the same water that you put in the cup, right? When you have a klikibel, you just have a receptacle. So whatever you put in the receptacle is what you take back out later. A makabel is whatever you put in the makabel, you wait, you come back later and you take back more. In fact, not only more, but disproportionately more. Classic example of that is the seed being placed in the ground and you come back and you find a tree. <laughs> And the tree grows fruits for infinite generations in potential. Like they say, anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only Hashem can count the apples in a seed. Because there are infinite apples in a seed. But in order for the infinite apples to come out of the seed, so the seed has to be placed in the ground. The ground, the wisest of all men said, everything's from the earth, everything's from the from the soil, the soil's malchus. So she's a makabel. What does she do? She receives, but she gives back much, much more than what she got. Or, you know, you look at uh, the six workdays and Shabbos. So also six workdays give to Shabbos. That's right. So if you don't get ready for Shabbos during the six workdays, you, you don't have what to eat on Shabbos. You don't go work and make money so you can go shopping and buy food and cook and bake, and do everything to prepare. So then Shabbos comes in, Lametes Molochas or Aser, oh, I didn't put a cholent on, let me put the cholent on, you can't. So Shabbos only has what she gets from the six work days, which makes her sound very passive and weak, which is, by the way, the biggest misunderstanding about femininity, because if you only understand half of what a makabal is, you think a makabal is a loser, because she's dependent. She can't even make her own potato kugel. Shabbos, in order for there to be potato cook on Shabbos, she has to get it from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. She can't make her own potato cook. But that's only half of femininity. That's only half of being a makabal. What's the other half? Like we're saying that what she takes, she ends up developing and giving back disproportionately more. So the six work days give Shabbos a potato kugel. She takes a potato kugel and she turns that into Shabbos. <laughs> Rest and connection and recalibration of our purpose here in the world. Ruchnius. Yem la I have to pretend that I'm benching. Right? Like a Mashiach. Shabbos is, is, is Gula. Everything is Kuleruchnias. So, what is Shabbos giving us? Something far more valuable than a potato kugel. I can tell you that. Far more valuable than Cholent. You have to make the Cholent, the potato kugel, on the weekday to give to Shabbos. But then what Shabbos gives back is incomparably greater. Okay. And, and that's the truth with every Mashpia Makabal relationship. Teacher and student, right? Teacher and student. So on one hand, the teacher has to give the student. The teacher doesn't start talking, then the, the, what are we going to talk about? 
But <laughs> when the, a real student, a real Talmud, who's a Makabal, absorbs from the teacher, it's Ma'ir in the teacher, greater insight that he would never have gotten on his own. He wouldn't have gotten it on his own. So who, who's, the real, who's the real giver? Or Seichel uh, and, and, and Dibur. Seichel and Dibur. Like when, you, need, when you, you have an idea and you don't understand it fully, so you need to speak it out. So you take the seichel, the, the intellect, and you start speaking. You know, I'm just thinking out loud, like we say. And when you start to verbal, verbally articulate something, so you end up understanding it better. Huh. So hold on a second. Dibur is a total macabre, because if you don't have information to speak about, then there's nothing, there's no words. So Dibur is the macabre. And yet, <laughs> seichel ends up receiving from Dibur, because when you speak it out, you end up getting back insights you would never have gotten if you didn't speak it. Same thing with Midas and Dibur, by the way, that uh, when you have an emotion, let's say, and uh, you feel something and you realize you're feeling something and you say, oh, I got to stop talking or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry. I'm going to break down. And then you stop talking and then you, you know, like a real man, I don't feel like, oh, no, I'm okay. Okay, but let me ask you a question. How come if you would continue speaking, you would start crying? It's interesting. It's Mishpi a Makabal. Because from one hand, the Dibor is only a Makabal. It's only a channel to express the emotion that you already have. Yet, it's when you speak the Midah, the emotion, through the Dibor, through the speech, that the emotion, the original emotion, gets intensified so that if you, Taka, if you continue speaking, then you're going to end up crying. And if you don't speak, then you're not going to cry. doesn't make sense. If you feel sad enough to cry, then speaking or not speaking shouldn't make the difference. And yet it does. Why? Because when you take the emotion and you put it in the, 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 the vessel of speech, the vessel of speech doesn't just transmit the, 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 the emotion that was placed in her. She adds to it. She magnifies it. She amplifies it. And it ends up coming out much greater than how it was given to her. So every Mashpia Makabal relationship that you can describe is like that. There is um, a giver and a recipient, but the recipient is also dynamic. She is not passive. She is not passive, which is the great misunderstanding about femininity. And to the contrary, actually, she is an even bigger giver than him. And you want to talk about men and women. Okay, let's just start with the biological, which is indisputable. You know, the man, what does he give? I'm talking about how babies are made. What does the man give to the woman? A tipa srucha. Nothing so impressive. What does she give back? Nine months later, your child. <laughs> with a personality and a name <laughs> and a smile. That's, that's called an infinite upgrade. That's not just a little upgrade. That's not even uh, twice as good or a hundred times as good or even a million times as good. That's an infinite, an infinite degree of improvement. So that's Meshpia Makab. Okay, now. Let's go back to our question. And uh, as we're about to go back to our question, I want to remind everyone again, because I, I said it at the very beginning, but I'm going to say it again now. This is for married men. 
both married and men. If you're not married, you're not a man, you shouldn't be listening to this. And even if you think it will help you, um, I'm not so sure. And I will not take responsibility if this information is not helpful to you, if you are disregarding the warning here right now. I fully understand, I'm cognizant of the fact that somebody may take this and forward it to somebody else. And again, if you have access to this kind of stuff, you have access to things that are much more explicit. And uh, that is the reality of the world today. But I'm asking you to exercise a little bit of self-discipline and uh, at least for your own benefit, you should, uh, you should know that this message is not the same message that would be delivered to single men. And it's also not the same message that would be delivered to women. And in fact, for a woman to hear some of the things that I'm going to tell the men could cause the opposite of shalom bias. It could be weaponized, God forbid, because I'm going to speak real just between us guys. And I'm going to talk about what we got to do as men. But it wouldn't be necessarily such a good thing for a woman to hear these things and to start to uh, resent that maybe her husband isn't living up to the ideal just yet. Who among us is living up to the ideal? But here, I want to speak on lofty on a lofty level, and I do want to speak about the ideal, but I just don't, uh, I don't want that used against anybody, God forbid. I don't want this used against anybody. We have to be able to feel safe as men to speak about what we're striving for, but it should never be used against us to, uh, to show us that we're not yet there. I think we all have a right to be works in progress and to admit that we have higher standards than we are currently able to achieve so i just hope everyone will take this warning to heart and uh do the right thing okay so a mashpia and a makabal yeah a man is a giver and a woman is an even bigger giver okay so then what is my identity? You told me I'm a mashpia. Okay, I'm a giver. But now I looked into it and I just found out that she's a giver too. And in fact, everything that I give her, she gives me back an upgraded version of it. She's always showing me up. She's always outdoing me. <laughs> but that's that's the relationship between mashpia and makabal. So then... <sighs> What, what am I good for? Anyway, you know, like, what do, what, what do we need men for? What's my role? What's my value here? I'm a giver, but she's also a giver. And in fact, she's an even bigger giver. So the answer to that question is, yes, it is true. Makabal ultimately is a bigger giver than the Mashpia. But the mashpia is essential and will always be needed because the mashpia gives 
first. The mashpia gives first. So a man is a giver and a woman's a bigger giver. But the man is the first giver. He's got to be the first giver. And if he's not the first giver, then he's not a mashpia. And the whole sederishtalshlis gets inverted. And that doesn't work for anyone. So let's talk about what that really means to be the first giver. Maybe I'll start on an emotional level. I won't jump right into intimacy, although I think we need to get to that point. Let's start on an emotional level. Man comes home tired from his work day. Maybe his wife was out working too, you know, today. From families, you know how much money you have to make to be middle class? So maybe there's two people working full time, right? So he's not even uh, necessarily only the, 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 the chief breadwinner. But he comes home, he's tired from his day of work. He sees his wife, he goes over to her. And what does he want? What does he want from her? He wants comfort. He wants, you know, I've come home. I've come home to my wife. This is, this is my safe place. This is a place of nurture. That's what, that's what a woman is. And I go to her and I say, the world has beaten me up. Please love me, validate me. Spread your warmth upon me and make me feel all right. Now, I don't speak like that because I'm not a poet, but you know, <laughs> in so many words, you come over and uh, you, know, you want to tell her about your day and she should take your side in every argument that you tell her about. And uh, you want to complain and she should say, yes, you work so hard. It's so true. You're so good. We love you so much. You're such a wonderful tati. Or maybe even, not to jump into the intimacy stuff, but you want physical affection. Maybe that's the comfort that you're looking for. But the point is, you walk through the door, and you're looking for your wife to soothe you. And why wouldn't you expect that? You know, the first woman that you knew well, if you had a healthy relationship with your mother... That's what the first woman that you were close to did. She was there to soothe you and comfort you. I mean, so that's our paradigm for femininity. But if you stop, stop, freeze frame, pause, think about it. I just walked through the door with all my emotional needs on my sleeve, looking for my wife to be my comfort Am I walking through the door as mashpia or as makabal? Am I walking through the door as a giver or a receiver? I mean, it's clear. I've, I've come to receive. I've come to receive. And it's clear that that's against my nature. And it's bound for failure and frustration. Even if I don't know why I keep getting upset and disappointed. But if I'm fighting my nature, I'm fighting the existential reality 
of husband and wife being Mashpia and Makabal, there's no way I'm going to succeed. And everyone ends up feeling unsatisfied and not even necessarily knowing why. And a lot of men will complain and they'll say, but what about me? I work hard. I just want a little bit of love, acknowledgement, approval, affection. What about me? And the answer is, you're right. You're right. But you have to know how Mashpia Makabo works. She'll give to you. In fact, she'll give you more than you could ever give to her because a Makabo is actually a greater giver than a Mashpia. But you have to give first. You have to give first. You walk through that door and fill her up with no expectation or concern for getting anything back. Walk through the door and initiate the flow of giving. All the direction of the energy should all be going, going outward. What does that mean? You walk through the door, you have, as, as tired as you are, as beaten up by the world as you are, as much as you feel that you have unmet emotional needs, or even you feel emotionally depleted because of all the interactions outside of the house, which took away energy, and you feel like you need to refill, don't refill yourself, refill her. I can't, I have nothing, I have nothing. You do, you do, because you're also a wife. Jewish men are also wives. Hashem is our husband. He's our mashpia. We're his makabel. And incidentally, yes, we give him back more than he gives us. <laughs> he creates a world, but we give him a dira betachteinim. We can talk about that later. I don't want to break the flow over here. Receive from Hashem. Hashem is empowering you. You're a husband. This is your mitzvah. You have a nesimus kayach for this, and you're built for it too, because in your relationship with your wife, you are the man, you are the mashpia, and give. Just give, 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 give. And you say, well, how much, how much giving? I mean, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to just let her talk and talk and talk and talk. She'll never, she never gets filled up. I, I, I can tell you because I, I sit there for half an hour and she just, she's, she's still not satisfied. I sit there for an hour, she's not satisfied. Okay, so not trying to make a joke, but if this thing is on the table, the clock didn't start ticking yet. <laughs> the, the iPhone here, if the smartphone's on the table, the clock, <laughs> how can you tell me that you're giving to her and you're filling her up when, you're, when your device is dinging? No, giving to her, filling her up means she's your focus. You know how people talk about this is supposedly for Lubavitchers, so I'll use uh, inside baseball references. Uh, this class was marketed for Lubavitchers. I don't know who's actually going to watch it, but uh, you know how people talk about who people had yechidus with the Rebbe and how they're, it's very common. You'll hear people say, you know, I know the Lubavitcher Rebbe was so busy. He had so much going on. And yet when I was in the Rebbe's room, I felt like I was the only person alive. I felt like he was completely present with me. Okay, so that's what it means, focus. That's what it means, being there for somebody. And you walk through the door and you fill her up. And it doesn't take forever. If you stay focused on her, 
if there's a quality of time, then the quantity of time will also eventually click in and she'll feel satisfied. She'll feel filled up. You will have emotionally impregnated her. And it doesn't take nine months for this baby to be born because this is like a little micro impregnation. What happens is she's ready to give you back in the form of that nurturing that you seek. But if you walk through the door and you try to be the first receiver instead of the first giver and take it from her, what have you done? You've actually turned yourself into the macabre. You've turned yourself into the feminine party in the relationship. You're trying to get pregnant and it, it won't work. You don't have the parts. I'm not talking biological here. I'm talking emotionally and spiritually. You can't get pregnant. So you want her to be the initial giver when you walk through the door feeling emotionally needy. But she can't impregnate you. You can only impregnate her. So what happens when we reverse Mashpia and Makabal and we try to make the Makabal the first giver, when we try to make her give before she's been filled up, everyone fails and everyone gets disappointed because you took the whole Seder Ishtalshlis, the whole system, the way Hashem set things up, how to flow, and you inverted it so that now what? Zoh is supposed to be Makabal from Malchus? Zoh will be ultimately Makabal from Malchus and, and ultimately Malchus is Kesser and, 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 and is Aisha's Hylatera's Baila. She's the crown. But that's after the process of unification where Zoh comes to Malchus as a selfless giver and impregnates her. Then after gestation and, and, and nurturing what he gave her, she can turn around after a process of development and give it back to him in, a, in an upgraded fashion, which is infinitely greater than what she received at first. And then, yes, then she is the giver and she is actually Kesser and she's a Teres Baila. But it's the culmination of a process. It's the culmination of a process. That's why Shabbos, which is feminist, Saif Maisba Machshava Tchilo. She's Saif Maisa. The Machshava, conceptually, Tchilo. Yeah, that's true. Conceptually, it's all about what Malchus is going to do. But uh, procedurally, that's not how it works. You have to respect the process. You want to hear a joke backwards? Okay, start laughing. <laughs> that's not respecting the process. You hear a joke backwards, start laughing. You laugh first, and then I'll tell you the joke. Doesn't work that way, okay? So you can't walk through the door and take from her. You've got to walk through the door and invest in her. And then she'll give you back incomparably more than what you invested. And I don't mean investing in a crass way where you're doing it for the payoff. Obviously not. I mean, you're doing it for fun and for free, altruistically. But the side benefit is, yes, it ends up being very profitable for everyone involved because she also wants to be a nurturer. But you can't make her be Mechalal Shabbos. You understand what I mean by that? When I say you can't make her be Mechalal Shabbos. 
the six days of work, which are masculine, have to prepare and give to Shabbos the raw materials she needs in order to turn those raw materials into something incomparably greater. So in this case, the raw materials are baking the kugel that we spoke about before. If the six workdays didn't want to make kugel, they said, you know what? Let Shabbos make kugel. That's called Chil Shabbos. Making a kugel on Shabbos is, is called Chil Shabbos. Making Malchus or the Mechabal provide the raw materials that were supposed to be provided by the Mashpia is a form of desecrating the Shabbos or desecrating the feminine or desecrating the sanctity of the Mechabal. We don't want Chil Shabbos. We want Shabbos to be able to receive the best that the six workdays can provide for her. And then she'll take all that and turn it into something wonderfully greater than what she got. Okay. So now let's talk about intimacy. Let's, let's get into it. And I see there are questions in the chat which I'll look at, but uh, not just yet, not just yet. You know, um, the Gemara speaks about a concept of a man forcing his wife, what it calls over there, it's interesting, the Gemara in Erovin says to do a dvar mitzvah, and it means conjugal rights. So it's, it's a dvar mitzvah, right? It's a good thing. But it says that um, he shouldn't force her, and if he does, not good things come from it. Also speaks about it in uh, in uh, Kalarabsi, also in the modern Erevin. It's uh, you're not allowed to force your wife to be intimate. It's interesting because I I, <laughs> I heard recently people discussing the idea of consent. And whether or not that's just PC tripe, and especially consent within marriage. Well, uh, yeah, there is a concept in Plato. Chazal do speak about the idea that there's such a thing called consent. It's not a criminal discussion here, and that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the proper functioning of Mashpia and Makabal and uh, how can a giver be a giver when he's taking you can't be so if you're forcing your wife to be intimate are you giving her intimacy or are you trying to take it from her in which case it's not intimate at all and you're not a Mashpia at all See, here's the thing. 
Remember I said at the beginning that for all those years we had to repress that side of ourselves and then all of a sudden the floodgates open and now it's off to the races. And I asked, how can we do that? How can we flip 180 degrees and just go from one extreme to the, to the other, to the opposite? And it was really a trick question because the answer is we don't. We don't go from one extreme to the other. It really never changes. It wasn't human sexuality that was evil. It was never evil. And it didn't suddenly become holy on the day of the wedding. It was always holy. What was evil, what's klippa, and those who learn Tanya know this, the klippas say, have, have, gimme, 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 gimme. Kedusha is batal. That means it is surrendered. It says, reporting for duty, sir. That's Kedusha. Kedusha is, I'm here to do whatever the job calls for. Klippa is, gimme, gimme, gimme. What's in it for me? So it was never that human sexuality was good or bad. It's that giving and taking are what is holy or sitra akhra. Happens to be that when you're a single man, there's absolutely no way to use your sexuality as a giver. <laughs> there's, no, there's no place to give to. There's no recipient to receive. So therefore, it has no place in your life. And if you do, as a single man, express that aspect of human nature, it by definition will be in a selfish manner of taking because there's no way to give because there's no recipient. It will always be selfish. It will always be taking. When somebody, when a man looks where he shouldn't look and has pleasure from what he sees, is he giving or is he taking? Whether he's looking at pixels on a screen or he's looking at a real person on the street, don't tell me he's giving anything. No, he's taking. He's taking. And that's what's unnatural and unhealthy for us. We're mashpiyim, we're meant to be givers, and now we're going around taking. Let's set aside intimacy for a second. Let's talk about something more powerful, something less emotionally charged. Let's talk about the Seydev Datscham. <laughs> you guys like Kabbalah, right? Daimim Tzameh Medaber, four levels of creation so you have the inanimate the vegetative the animal and the human so you know if a person eats a piece of steak with animal lust he just gobbles it down for the physical pleasure of it it's a degradation to that animal that died for that experience 
which is why the Gemara actually says that an Am Ha'aretz shouldn't eat meat. Somebody who's crass, somebody who's physical, Aretz means physicality. So he won't be able to take the energy from the animal and repurpose it and elevate it. So it's actually, it's a, it's a yurida, it's a degradation for that soul of that animal. Because really, the human being wasn't supposed to take from the animal, he's supposed to give to the animal. When a human being eats meat, it's supposed to be an act of giving. And if it's not an act of giving, don't eat meat. And really, the same thing with vegetation. When you eat Brussels sprouts, you're not supposed to take from them, you're supposed to give to them. Don't eat Brussels sprouts just because they're geschmack. Well, in that case, it's not such an assault. But... <laughs> maybe somebody likes brussels sprouts anyways but eat the brussels sprouts because they give you calories that you can use to dive and to learn to do mitzvahs in which case you're a giver you're giving an aliyah to the energy in the brussels sprouts because now they become mitzvah brussels sprouts davening brussels sprouts learning brussels sprouts whereas before they were just klipas neuge. now they're kedusha so you gave it an aliyah that it couldn't do for itself so not to compare a woman to a Brussels sprout, but <laughs> to compare uh, intimacy to eating, yeah, it's very similar. You can eat in a selfish way where you're taking from the food, in which case you have inverted Seydrishtalslis, you've reversed the flow of energy the way it's supposed to go, because you're supposed to be giving an aliyah to the food you eat, not taking pleasure from it. And the same thing with intimacy. You're the mashpia. You're supposed to be giving something to her, not taking something from her. So here's the thing. When you're a single man, the only way that the sexual urge that is naturally human beings can express itself in your life is in a selfish manner. There is no selfless, there's no selfless sexual act for a single man other than abstinence and chastity and hesachadas and not thinking about it. But there's no active way to be selfless because there's, there's, there's no forum to give to. I mean, there's, there's no macabre. There's no macabre. So what happens though is that a young man, a single man, all of a sudden he gets married and in his mind, and I see this over and over and over and over again, he flips the switch that now everything that I wasn't allowed to take before, and so either I resisted taking it because it was not permissible or God forbid I was nichshul and I took it, but I felt guilty about it. But now I can take with impunity. They took the lock off of the candy store and I can go into the candy store and I can grab whatever I want. First of all, I want to talk about that on two levels, practical and spiritual, but they're the same thing. On a practical level, do you think that's the formula for Shalom Bias? that all of a sudden you're a kid in the candy store and she's the candy store. She's going to feel cherished and respected. 
She's going to feel safe. And by the way, just remember, men and women are different, not just emotionally, but even physically. And for a woman, safety, emotional safety is an, an incredibly huge part of intimacy. For, for us, emotionally and biologically, for reasons I'm not going to be that explicit to explain, we go figure it out. Nobody's encroaching on our territory. And by the way, one of the, the greatest uh, wounds that we can experience as men is when somebody sexually encroaches on our territory. If you understand what I'm describing. So safety for a woman is incredibly important. The fact she feels she feels secure to be able to allow something into her daladamas and more. And we take for granted that uh, you know physical urges are physical urges, which to some extent they are. And for a while, you can get by just on the fact that you know the newlywed thing, and people are interested in something that's new, and the Nefshabamas enjoys it. For a while, you can get by on that, but it doesn't make it any less insulting to her. And I don't mean she's being insulted on the principle of the matter that she chooses to be insulted. No, I mean existentially it's unavoidable she's being used right now how is she not going to feel used up when she's literally being used so that's the practical level on the spiritual level i'm talking about the problem of bursting into the candy store and looting on the spiritual level you tell me mashpia how's that working are you a mashpia when you're running into the candy store and looting how are you a giver how are you a giver? You're, 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 you're invested in out-of-control taking at that point. You're just taking, you're gobbling, consuming. You're a consumer. So here's what I want to try to explain to you. You know what makes pornography such an avla? Is that you can only consume it. It's impossible to be a giver there's nothing to give to you're just taking you're just taking well you tell me now the moment you get married now now your wife becomes the substitute for the pornography now you can just take from her so before you weren't allowed and now they took the lock off the candy store. Go ahead and loot. Tell me how safe she's going to feel. Tell me how respected she's going to feel. And tell me, Mashpia, how true to your essence and your spiritual identity are you going to feel as a looter and a taker when that's not who you are meant to be, and that's not how you were built. You were meant to be a mashpia. You were meant to be a giver. So, I mean, you can talk to me about the levels in, in, in Reish's Chachma, and that if a man knows that he's going to sin, so it's better that he should uh, cohabit with his wife than to do an Aveda. And you're, you're right. That's true. That's true. Okay. But that's the lowest level. That's the lowest level. Yeah, it's better than doing the Aveda. But 
at least bedakus, can we not agree? It's just a different version of the same old stuff that wasn't healthy when you were a bacher. Okay, so you want to ask me halachically, black and white, first of all, I'm not a rav, and I'm not asking halachic questions now or at any point. <laughs> but if you want to, one halachic question, you can ask me, is it asr, is it mutter? Right, it's mutter. But is that the only yardstick? Is that the only, uh, is that the, the only criterion? So is it better to be with your wife than to do an Aveda? Yeah. But woe is to us if the reason for, for marital intimacy becomes that I wanted to take in a totally usser way. Instead, I'll take in this way. Okay, so it's better. Yes, it's better. But we can do <laughs> a lot better than that. What changes when you get married is that all of a sudden you have a brand new opportunity to be a giver in this area of your life. You have this part of your personality. And I keep, I keep calling it a part of a personality. It's actually incorrect because according to Hasidus, it's not, the, it's not a part of your personality. It's actually the essence of your personality. Actually, the, the human desire for reunion with our other half is actually, it comes from etzim hanefesh. It's the deepest part of our soul. So it's not just an aspect of our selfhood that was repressed for all those years. It's really, in a certain way, the deepest, deepest uh, essence of who we are, which we had to sort of put a lid on for all those years. And now all of a sudden, we have an opportunity to be givers from the essence, to truly give from that deepest part of ourselves. But don't make that mistake and think, oh, before the problem was, it was Asr. And now it's Mutter. So all the things that I wanted to indulge in before as a selfish, <laughs> obsessed consumer, now I can finally do it. Okay, it may or may not be mutter, but let's say it even is mutter. Like I was saying before, I'm not getting into the halacha of it. Let's say it's mutter. The Rav told you. Okay, yeah, I guess you could do it. But don't tell me that that's going to be fulfilling to you or to her. Don't tell me that's going to bring peace. Don't tell me that you're going to feel that that's a brand new spiritual vista that's opened up in your life. A new opportunity to connect to Hashem that you didn't have before. No, you're just going to say, it's a new thrill that I had to uh, repress, and now I don't have to repress it anymore. So this is what I want you to understand. The difference between being single and being married is that when you were single, there was no way to give intimately. When you're married, you can finally do your shlichus in this world, and now you can give intimately. But you have to give. You have to give. 
And yes, we know how Mashpia Makabal work. Whatever you put into her, you end up getting disproportionately more back. Yeah, yeah, we know that. We know that. We know that. That's how a Makabal works. We told you that from the beginning. Mashpia is a giver. Makabal is an even bigger giver. Yeah, we know that. But that's not why you do it. <laughs> it's not why you do it. It's not with a cheshpin. It's not with a pnia. You do it because that's who you are. That's how you were built. You were built to be a giver. Especially in your intimate life. I'll, I'll ask you a question. The mitzvah that a younger man has. The mitzvah of being intimate with his wife. Is that a mitzvah sesa or a mitzvah sleisesa? thinking, what, what does it have to do with anything? Such a technicality. Well, it makes a big difference. I think a lot of Yingalite think it's, think it's a mitzvah sesa. They think it's a, it's a positive commandment. Something you have to do. And in fact, not only you have to do it, but kol hamarbe harizem meshubach. More and more and more and more. Because now I'm married, right? Now it's a mitzvah. It's a different kind of a mitzvah. It's a lysasa. Lysigra, do not diminish her oina. Why is that such an important concept? The mitzvah isn't to be intimate with your wife. Very important. The mitzvah is not to withhold intimacy from her. Well, guys, get off of Zoom. What are you doing here? You're withholding intimacy from your wife. Now you can't work. You can't learn. You can't eat. You can't do anything. Okay, so obviously that's not shot. So, so let me ask you another lambda shashayla here. What is the chalais of the iser? In other words, it's like you're not allowed to eat chametz on Pesach. Okay. But when are you not allowed to eat chametz on Pesach? When it's Pesach, right? But you're not allowed to do malach on Shabbos. When, when it's Shabbos. Okay, fine. So for something like that, I understand. There's a certain time that it becomes an iser. But sometimes an iser is chal because of a, a condition. Certain scenarios converge to create the conditions of an Isser, where now, if you don't do something, you're going to be over. So now your, your, your bull and your donkey are suddenly saddled up under one yoke to pull one plow. Uh, 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 that's an Isser, so you got to take the yoke off, or however it's done, I'm not a farmer. So when would you be over on this love of do not diminish her conjugal rights. You're going to tell me about donkey drivers and sailors and camel drivers. Yeah, those are the, the, that's the schedule. But I'm saying other than the schedule. When she wants. It, it, it's such a world of difference. The mitzvah isn't to give it to her. The mitzvah is not to withhold it from her, but withholding it is entirely defined by her desire for it. So in other words, when do you have a mitzvah? When she wants it. 
Now, yes, I understand the lowest level of the Kavanah is an Eishish Chachma, that if you're going to do an Aveda anyway, so then it's better to be with her. We already said that that's, we're not shooting for that. We're shooting for the ideal over here, okay? The real relationship from the male perspective is to be available to her when she desires it. So now you're going to say, Ivey. Well, now it's never going to happen. Okay. So first of all, <laughs> what's wrong with that? Okay. Yeah. So what? You're going to die? You'll be okay. You went however many years without expressing this part of yourself, so you won't express it now. You're, you'll be okay. No, I'm, I'm being very serious. And this is why if you're a woman listening to this right now, you're damaging your shalom bias. If you're a woman listening to this right now, you're damaging your shalom bias. Get off this recording now. We'll have something for the women, believe now there another time. Maybe not for me, but okay. Men, if she doesn't want it, you're not giving her anything by being with her. So then you're potter. You're off the hook. Oh, you have needs? Yeah, okay. You have needs. I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how much damage it does in the world today when men have a feeling of entitlement about how much intimacy they deserve to have from their wives. It makes people miserable. It destroys relationships. It leads, God forbid, to, to, to divorce or to miserable marriages. Relax. It's okay. It's okay. So she doesn't want. Okay. So what are you, an animal? That's the only thing you can do? Did you, did you learn Rambam today? Go, go sit down and learn three prakim. Go be productive. I, I'm not trying to sound dismissive right now. Okay. God forbid. I'm, I, I don't want to sound dismissive. What I'm, I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to speak to you respectfully. And I'm trying to tell you, you're not an animal. Okay. And yes, there is such a thing as needs. And that's why in halacha, there's a concept of a meredis and she withhold. And yes, I'm acknowledging all of that. And it is a painful thing. And there are people who are deprived in that area. And yes, it is emotionally painful. I'm not minimizing it. What I'm saying to you, though, is, and if you're in a, an extreme situation where you're being deprived for a very long time, then, then we need to speak about shalom bias. In a, in a much more serious way, because it's not an intimacy issue. It's much, much more than that. Okay. But I'm saying, if you're not getting what you want as often as you want, the way that you want, uh, how many times you want, let it go. Let it go. Because you're a mashpia, and ultimately, all that taking is never going to fill you up anyway. That's not how you're built. It's not how you're built. So you think that it's, I didn't eat enough donuts today and that's why I'm sad. I, I, I only ate 12 donuts. If I would eat the 13th donut, then I wouldn't be sad. You know what? You can be happy with zero donuts. You can eat zero donuts, you can be happy. So, so that's the first thing I want to say. When I said, if she doesn't want it, it's not a mitzvah to give it to her. So that's the first thing. Just, okay, so she doesn't want it. Okay. 
great. So go fishing, do something else. But the other thing, and this is probably more important, is, yeah, Chacham, what do you think your job is? <laughs> it's only a mitzvah to not deprive her when she wants it, but she doesn't want it. What do you think your job is? Your job is to make her feel so safe that she wants it. Not because you want it, and therefore you've got to get her to want it. I got something I'm trying to buy, but the seller isn't selling. So I got to wine and dine this seller so he'll sell me his building, right? No, 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 because that's still taking. It's still taking. Think of it like this. I'm a teacher. No, in real life, I really am a teacher. And I, want, I have something I want to teach, but the students don't want to hear it. So what, what's one approach? Well, if you have a mycid backing you up, you know, it's called a school, and then they put the kids in a box and there's four walls and you sit at the front and you say, everybody be quiet. And if you don't listen to me, you're getting a knas, right? So then you force them to sit and listen to you. All right. But in, I'm saying in real adult life, I've got a lesson I want to teach you and nobody wants to hear it. So what, what should I do? Like this happens sometimes. I'll get up in front of a crowd. Let's say it's a Shabbaton. Okay, 70% of the people there came to eat chicken. 30% came for Glenlivet. Nobody came for a drosh. Okay, it's, it's Friday night at a Chabad house. 200 people sitting there. They don't want to hear a drosh. And they tell me to go up. That's what I got paid for. Go up there. Say it for 45 minutes. So what's my first job when I get up there? My, my first job is to make them want it. And there's different ways that we make them want it. The milsa dabdichosa, which doesn't, by the way, have to mean a joke. Milsa dabdichosa doesn't mean, a, you know, why did the chicken cross the road? It doesn't have to mean a joke. It means, as you learned, you're all married men. We marketed this to Lubavitcher, so I'm assuming you learned the, the chasana mimer. So you learn l'chadedi. So the chitzenius hashpo, to open up the transmission on a deeper level you have to first get it going on a, on a more superficial level so there's the chetzenia sashpa so you get up there and you you know you kibitz a little bit with them you make some references you talk about the local sports team whatever you got to do to make them relate to you and then they're going to sit there and, oh you know what this guy's kind of interesting yeah i'll listen to him for a minute and then you got a minute you got a minute to make them want more. It doesn't mean now all of a sudden, oh, now I can go into, the Rebbe says in a sikha this week, <laughs> no, 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 no. I have a tie with the Chazer sikha, so everybody has to sit there and listen to me. No, I got to be more in you, a Samoyan, oh, please talk to me. That sounds so relevant. Oh, it happens to be a sikha. Oh, great, great. Just, Talk to me, speak relevantly, speak personally to me. And then, then they'll, they'll listen to the class. And then I feel satisfied because I gave a good talk. They feel satisfied because they heard something they didn't know before and they think they may use in their, in their lives. And everybody's happy and fulfilled. But you just get up there, you know, 
I'll tell you something. I, I, <laughs> I heard, well, it's a known thing that there was a necrophiliac in Lubavitch. I don't know, in Lubavitch, but he came to Lubavitch. You know what a necrophiliac is, yeah? Yeah. So it says in the Rashimus, the guy was Boyal Akumes. Okay. Not a live girl. It's the whole story, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I won't get into the Pratim here. It's pretty, pretty low Aveda. Anyways, so you know that when a Rebbe gives a tikkun, he has to find it, he has to find the Aveda in himself. How is a Rebbe supposed to relate to boil akum mess? So I there's there's two versions of the story and in Perhaps there were two necrophiliacs in, <laughs> in the annals of Lubavitch history, or perhaps it was one guy who was Nichol a second time. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe someone can write a, a book about this, a history. Well, I'd buy that book, right? <laughs> Anyways, one, one explanation that, that, um, that Rebbe told him, the Mitler Rebbe told him that, um, well, I don't know if he actually told him this, but how he found it in himself, you know, the Mitla Rebbe never handled money because he was very, very holy. And, but when he was a little boy, he once saw a coin and he wanted the coin. And the Tzura Samat Beya, you know, the, the, on coins often you have royalty. So this one, like Queen Elizabeth. So, uh, you know, so this was a queen. So he saw a coin with a picture of a woman on it and he wanted it. So he related to the idea Oh, somebody who wanted an inanimate woman, non-Jewish woman. Oh, yeah, I also had that time once. I wanted to pick up a coin that had a picture of some dead queen on it. Okay, I can relate. See, I can relate to you. But then another version of this that I heard was that, and I believe this was with the Tzemach Tzedek, he said, yeah, I could relate to it. Sometimes I say a mimer when I know the Elam doesn't hear. Like I'm saying, say this, and there's really there's not an audience. There's no crowd for it. They're not. They're not. And I say the mimer. <sighs> Giving to a macabre who's not fully present and fully desirous of the hashpa is like dysfunctional intimacy. You want to say like necrophilia, okay? Or you could just call it like degrading, dehumanizing marital intimacy that leaves both parties feeling yucky. I think that's the clinical term is yucky. So if I want to give a speech, I got to first make you want to hear what I have to say. If I want to give you something that requires you opening up and letting me into your world. Then I have to make you feel safe. I have to make you want it. I have to make you feel like this is going to be honorable and respectful and uplifting. And I'm not going to be. And then once you let me into your inner world, I'm not going to go violating things and messing with things and rearranging things. Because remember, you're the macabre. You're letting me in like. That's, that's a big responsibility on my part to be sensitive to that. I'm a guest in your house. So how do I make the host want to be a host and feel safe enough 
to open the door, not by pounding on the door and saying, let me in, let me in. <laughs> you're here to give to me? If you're here to give to me, then why are you pounding on the door? You know how you'll know that you're a giver? Is if I open the door and I stand out on the porch and I say, where's my giver? <laughs> oh, my hero, here he is. He's arrived. Come on in. So let, let me speak very, very, and again, I will say the warning that this is for married men, married and men. So, you know, you talk to different people and depending on how uh, enlightened they are, they will talk more or less explicitly. And they may tell you things about intimacy, like men are different than women and they tell you something called foreplay. Okay, yeah, I said a bad word. I won't say it again. Okay. Do you know what that is? You know what that word is? You know what that means? It means opening the car door for her. It means leaving your cell phone in the other room when you sit down to have a cup of tea with her. It means when you had a bad day and she had a bad day, you let her talk. You give her your focus instead of trying to take focus from her that's the warm-up to intimacy but if you don't do that you walk through the door you are immediately taking trying to take validation and feminine nurturing approval and maternal love and all that stuff which freud would have a field day with <laughs> and you walk in you're trying to take from her and then all of a sudden at night, you say, let me give to you. Give. You haven't been giving to me since you walked through the door you've been taking. And now you're going to take even more in a more violating way, because now you're going to take from my essence. And then sexuality becomes demeaning and depressing and disappointing. And nobody knows why. And this good, sweet, holy younger man is totally baffled because he says, I don't understand. For 25 years, I wasn't allowed to express that part of myself and I was a good boy. And now they told me it's permissible and the candy store has opened up. What am I doing wrong? I'm being yelled at for, 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 for taking candy when finally they took the lock off the candy store. And maybe to, if I can continue with this ridiculous marshal, but off the cuff, I might say, yeah, they took the door off. They took the lock off the door. Not so you should loot the candy store. They wanted you to become a worker in the candy store and to take care of it. They wanted you to do inventory and make sure that all the shelves are stocked. They wanted you to do some interior design, make sure that the store looks nice. They wanted you to love this store, take care of this store. And yeah, obviously, if you take care of the store, you'll make a profit from it as well. But the satisfaction will be in nurturing and taking care of this beautiful candy store, not in looting it like some stranger who's there to just take it for everything it's worth and then disappear. So this, this is what makes me you know, sad is when I see a very 
well-intended Bacher gets married, becomes a younger man, and he doesn't know why he's frustrated and his wife is frustrated. What am I doing wrong? And, and, and the answer, the harsh answer, and again, if you're a woman and you're listening to this, you're not helping your Shalom bias right now by hearing this. I'm speaking right now to us men on the highest level, on the highest level. And on the highest level, let me say to, to you, men, if she's a substitute for pornography, then what is she? She's substitute pornography. Just like there's, a, there's no way to give to pixels on a screen, you can only take from them. Well, selfish sexuality is also pornography because you're not giving to her, you're just taking from her as if she were pixels on a screen. And that's, that's what we mean when we talk about objectification of women. Maybe that sounds like uh, modern liberal talk to you. But it's a real thing, objectification of women. What does it mean, objectification? What does it mean turning somebody into an object? It means being a user. It means being a user. You're a mashpia, not a user. You're a servant. That's the opposite of a user. You entered this girl's life to give to her spiritually, mentally, intellectually, emotionally, socially, and yes, physically, physically, intimately, but to give to her physically and intimately. And if you can't give to her, please don't settle for being a taker in that part of the relationship, which is not just a part of the relationship, it's really the essence of the relationship. Okay, so there's a lot of questions that came in. And uh, let, me, let me try to look at the questions now. Um, I'm not sure how this is supposed to work, if I'm just gonna look in the chat or if uh, we should let people unmute themselves, but... Uh, Yeah, I got questions that came in through email beforehand. Now I have questions from the direct chat that are coming in now. Um, one, one question here was, do standards still matter? Do I still need a filter? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. Basically, someone's saying like this. When I was a bacher, I needed to have a filter on my phone because I'm going to see something and it's going to cause hirhurim. It's going to trigger me. But now I'm married. Maybe I don't need a filter because if I'll see a dirty picture and I'll have a taiva, I'll just take it out on my wife. It doesn't sound so good when I say it that way, does it? <laughs> but sometimes you got to say it like it is that's what he's really asking he's saying when i had no outlet for it i understand you have to be careful you have to protect yourself but now worse comes to worse if i'll see something there'll be my okay i know where to go for that and again 
I'm well aware that Reish's Chochma says it's better to be with your wife than to do the Aveda, but that's the lowest level of Kavana. Okay, we're not going for the lowest level. We're going for the higher levels and the highest level. Yes, you have to be careful about what you're exposed to. Maybe even more. Maybe even more, and I'll tell you why. Because when you were single, it was basically binary. It was off on. And you have to keep it always off. <laughs> you don't want to turn it on. You, you need to keep it off. Now that you're married, and there is an appropriate time for turning on the on switch, do you want foreign stuff seeping in to your intimate life? Do you want ideas and images to be in the back of your head, creating expectations about what your deepest connection to your wife should be like. So in a certain way, it's even more important now to be upgehit, to be careful, to, be, to protect yourself. Because now <laughs> you do have a way of expressing that aspect of human nature, and you want to make sure that it stays pure. Especially because you're the giver. Remember, you're the giver. So you're the giver in many ways. But um, it also means you're setting the tone in intimacy. So you want to introduce things even subconsciously they come from an inappropriate source, from a source where human intimacy is, is, is reduced to a mechanical bodily function. You have something precious now to protect, something holy to protect. That's what I would say to that, but that was a great question. And you see that question's coming from the same mistake that I'm trying to Explain over here. Okay, let's, um, let's look at another one. Can I show affection to my wife outside the bedroom at home if no one is around? Okay, so I, I told you before, I'm not going to paskin, I'm not going to answer halachic questions. So whether it's asr or it's mutter, please ask a competent rav. But instead of answering yes or no, I want to do the traditional Jewish thing and answer a question with another question. Okay. And I want to, I just want to ask you to ponder. Okay. So here's my question to you. You said, can I show affection to my wife outside the bedroom at home if no one is around? So here's my question to you. Um, what you're describing to me Is it giving or is it taking? This is, not, this is not a leading question, by the way. I don't know the answer to it. I'm, I'm asking it earnestly. Because I could imagine definitely a scenario that would be clearly unhealthy from a mashpia point of view, where you're overcome with desire 
And uh, so you don't uh, resist from uh, behavior that belongs in one room, uh, exhibiting that behavior in another room. And maybe even you were told that this will be good for the marriage because she'll feel desire. She'll feel desire. <sighs> yeah, I've heard that one too before. Yeah, that she'll feel desired. So I, I want to tell you something. People give advice like that. Are they telling you how to pick up girls or how to stay married happily for decades? Because if you want to be a taiva, you want to be a pickup artist and you want to get human lust going, that's one thing. And if you're just going for short-term gain and that's all that matters, in fact, you don't want anything long-term. So yeah, sometimes it works. And, you know, Sometimes you get slapped, right? Like, like any, any Lothario will tell you that uh, they'll get 90 rejections or uh, harassment suits or whatever it is today. But, you know, 10 out of 100, they'll, they'll, uh, you know, they'll close the deal. And all they were looking for was short-term gain. So why not? You got to go for it. So, yeah, if, if you want a short-term relationship with a lot of, uh, <coughs> you know, physical uh excitement and a lot of the you know the hormonal biological stuff um yeah 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 you could just go into that animalistic mode where you're all desirous and and you're conveying desire and, and you you're hungry with desire and that that may work for a short period of time um i don't know anyone especially who I was going to say, I don't know anyone who gets married with Chop and Kedushin whose plan is Lechatchila just to <laughs> date your, your, your wife for uh, a year and then split up. But uh, especially, I don't, know, I don't know anyone who's on this Zoom who would take time out to listen to a Siddusha approach to Shalom Bayes who would say, yes, I would be happy with um, a degrading, dehumanizing, but more animalistically exciting courtship with my wife than it, after, the, 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 after the relationship becomes totally devoid of any trust or respect and, and has no content or, uh, or, or, or uh, meaning to stand on. So then after a year, we'll split up and that's fine. We'll just you know, lather, rinse, repeat, we'll do it again. I don't know anyone who, who, who's thinking that way. What you're thinking is, I want to be married for the rest of my life. I want this woman to raise my children. I want this woman to, to, to play with my grandchildren. And yes, intimacy and, and, and physical bonding is a huge part of a marriage. But in the right way, in the way that facilitates long-term success, not short-term success, so, you know, somebody may have told you bad advice, you know, go, go, go grab her in the kitchen and she'll feel desired. And she'll feel, it'll be thrilling. How long does thrilling last for? You know, everyone likes to go to great adventure, but you don't live there. 
what they call Great Adventure. I'm from Chicago called Six Flags Great America. Today I was teaching in seminary and I said Great America and nobody knew what Great America was except for one girl from Chicago. So, But yeah, in, in New York they call it Great Adventure. Anyways, you don't live at Six Flags. So the answer to the question is by all means have a healthy physical relationship with your wife where there's love and there's desire but do it thoughtfully do it proactively not reactively you know grabbing somebody because their form is taiva in you and impulsively you just have to grab them like you want to pop a piece of cake in your mouth that's not proactive that's reactive that's reactive oh but it's so spontaneous and fun okay again if you want short-term excitement go for it you just it, eventually it doesn't translate into decades-long success so how about a little more proactive intimacy in other words instead of grabbing her in the kitchen at 6 p.m start planning at 7 a.m how you're going to get her into the bedroom by 9 p.m so at 7 a.m when you put out a coffee for her and she feels respected now you're making her feel safe that you'll be able to get her into by 9 p.m and do everything that she needs you to do she needs you to do for her not to her for her at 9 p.m in the right place instead of at 6 p.m i grabbed her in the kitchen and well she's a human being she has a body she has a nefajabamas so maybe even she did get aroused and right but it worked once are you a pickup artist you're looking for a one-night stand so it worked once you're going to build a life on that you just sold out your identity for that one night of physical intimacy because your identity is the giver you're the mashpia and you just made yourself a macabre for what a night of fun wasn't worth it that's what asaf did he wanted to gobble up the the porridge so much he sold his whole future for it that's what the clipper does pour it down my throat i don't care about the future and then until you wake up and you do care about the future you realize you made a bad decision invest invest it's called the hachsher mitzvah that agachover speaks about it the hachsher mitzvah you got to start prepping and priming you know it's like when, when does chakras begin at krishma shalomita you know the famous question when do you start preparing for chakras so some people say uh mikvah some people say no mizenis fandavnin some people say no meidani no the real preparation for shakras krishma shalamita the night before proactive not reactive okay um what else those were emails i got let me look at the some of the questions that are coming in on the chat most of them are direct messages they're all direct messages okay um i 
I'm just, I didn't read this first, but I'm going to just read it. Hi, I'm, because it just came in a second ago. Hi. I'm, well. Oh. Why are wives listening to this? Wives cannot be listening to this. Somebody's telling me this wife was listening to this. Well, I told you if you're a woman listening to this, that it's going to not lead to shalom bias, going to take away from your shalom bias. If a wife listened to this and it caused problems, tell her to text me tonight. And uh, I'm going to explain to her why she shouldn't have listened to it. But yeah, tell her to text me tonight. Here, I'll put my, I'll tell you my number. Ugh. Now I'm going to have more people texting me. Okay, 412. Or this is going to go on YouTube. Oh, my goodness. Okay, you know what? Send an email. Okay, other, other, because my phone doesn't stop ringing as it is. Okay. I'm going to give you my email. Rabbi.taub at gmail.com. Okay, R-A-B-B-I.T-A-U-B at gmail.com. Please, if any damage came from this, uh, Tell, tell her to uh, email me, rabbi.taub at gmail.com. Okay. Somebody writes here, what's wrong with fun? Couples should have fun and enjoy their, fun, their time together. Yeah, good. Okay. You're right. I have no, I have no answer to that. That's such a, I'm, I feel so busted over here. What's wrong with fun? When did I say there's anything wrong with fun? When did I say that? That's a straw man argument, sir. You're putting in my mouth a weak form of my argument and then dismissing it. When did I say couples shouldn't have fun? You can have fun. I just said, don't use the most holy, most powerful tool for bonding that you were given in a cheap, silly, infantile way. In other words... <laughs> Yeah, have fun. Yeah, have fun. But there's something called fun and there's something called serious. Human intimacy was not given to us as a diversion or as a pastime. Take your wife to the baseball game for all I care. That's fine. That's okay. Go to a baseball game. Play baseball. That's better. At least you're doing something active. It's, it's healthier. But you think that human sexuality is given to us for fun? And by the way, when I say it wasn't given to us for fun, I don't mean it was given to us for the opposite. What's the opposite of fun? Boredom or pain? You could argue it's either of those two. It wasn't given to us for boredom. It wasn't given to us for pain. It wasn't given, to, but it wasn't given to us for fun. You know. You know why the bris is called the ice bris kodesh? You know why the male reproductive organ is called the holiest part of the body? Because it's really the dirtiest part of the body, and we just like euphemisms, so we call it the holiest part of the body. Do you believe that? No, that's a joke. No, it is the holiest part. So why is it the holiest part of the body? Well, what's holy mean? Kedusha means Kodesh Muvdal, separated or designated. 
something that is separated or designated means it is set apart for a particular function. So, Lamarshall, I could take my tefillin and use them as a doorstop, chas v'shalom. I could, but that would be a misappropriation. That would be a misuse. That would be taking something that's designated for a very specific purpose and using it for something that's not what it was intended for. So Kedusha, Kedusha Muvdal, really means that which is designated, and the holier it is, the more designated it is. So when you have something that has a special purpose, that's holy. So here's the thing. You can use tefillin as a doorstop, God forbid, or as a paperweight, God forbid. Yeah, you could. You could use a chumash to prop up your air conditioner, God forbid. Yeah, you could. It'll work. And you could use your reproductive organs for pastime and diversion and entertainment. You can. You can. It'll work. But that's not what they were designated for. They were designated to give you the ability to bond in a godlike manner with your other half in the same manner in which the creator bonds with creation, which we call Yichud Kuchibrichu Shinte, or Yichud Zun, or Yichud Mauban. When a man and a woman bond through marital intimacy, they are being godlike. And that's why our reproductive organs were given to us. So you could use it for fun. But what I would like to tell you to do is, yes, have fun in your marriage, but use other things for the fun. <laughs> use your private parts for deep, serious bonding. And use, I don't know, um, streamers and balloons for fun. <laughs> you can put up some streamers and confetti, get some confetti. That's fun. Get some cake. That's fun. But your private parts, that's not for fun. It's not a toy. That's a tool like tefillin that was given to you to connect to Hashem. And you have to treat it with reverence and respect. Does that make sense? Somebody writes here, does it ever get easier to ignore your personal desires for her? Or is this something I'm going to have to fight with forever? You know, when I was a bacher, Mendel Moroz of all of us, Shalom, was fabreng with us, and he said something which I didn't understand. I thought I understood it. And I even laughed, like, ah, ha, ha, I understand. And I didn't understand it. He said that when you become old, he said, he said, like, I don't have the teeth, right? I can't chew. So I was like, oh, that's so funny. Like, he wants to go eat shawarma, but he can't chew the shawarma. What he meant is, I realize now, that, well, there is something called resichas adamim, which biologically is a real thing. I mean, it's called hormones. And biologically, physically, your body will calm down. But your mind, 
You have the same tithers, you just don't have the teeth. Your mind will only be in control the same way that you did it when you were 15. When you're focused on good things, when you feel good about yourself, when you have some self-respect and some self-esteem and your life is busy, so then it's not that you won't have tithes because like I mentioned at the beginning that, you know, in Perich of Zion of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says, it's like the unavoidable, like human condition. But, you know, the, the things pop into your head, but if when you're feeling good about yourself, you have much more of a, an ability to tell yourself no, to tell yourself yeah, that's that's inappropriate. Let's let's move on. Let's let's get focused on something different right now. Um, and that 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 need to be in control of your machshava. That's the same as when you were fifteen years old. That doesn't change. So poshut begashmias. Yeah, the Avishta takes it a little bit easier on you as you get older, but. Uh, Whatever, if I wanted to be really grub, I'd have a good comedy routine right here about uh, physical uh, differences between a teenager and uh, a middle-aged man. But uh, yeah, it'll get easier. But you have to be on top of it. And what does it mean to be on top of it? it like I said, but I'll say it again because it's so important. The thoughts are going to pop up. The thoughts pop up but how quickly you're able to dismiss it and move on to something productive and appropriate is going to depend on, again, how fulfilling your life is right now, how busy you are with, with good things, your, your level of self-respect, your level of self-esteem, whether you're feeling productive right now, like, because when you're feeling depressed and you're feeling like a loser and you're in pain, and then you have a, a taiva that could give you a quick numbing so then, of course, you go for you, you reach for the drink, you reach for the numbing. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, Yiras Shamayim doesn't become less important as you get older, it becomes more important. We have to control our, our thoughts. We have to control our thoughts. Okay. Somebody writes here, yes, but. Oh, no, this is a, I don't know what they're saying yes, but to. Okay, yes, but pleasure is and or should be an essential part of intimacy. Isn't a CV, what is that, men giving his wife pleasure and essential part of the mitzvah? First of all, go ahead and give her pleasure. <laughs> oh, you're talking about your pleasure. <laughs> talk about your pleasure I thought this was your mitzvah what about simcha shel mitzvah that should be your pleasure why isn't that your mitzvah I mean why isn't that your pleasure you, you're doing a mitzvah that's, that's pleasure but he's saying you know shouldn't there be yeah. yeah but you know what the greatest pleasure is you look again I'm telling you you know, you know, we have two, we have two souls. So from Nefesh Bama's point of view, you could go for the immediate gratification and, and go for a night of, you know, good 
animalistic fulfillment. You know, you can, it'll work, it'll work. But for how long? But for how long? So what I'm describing to you about being um, thinking about long-term, I'm not describing to you an intimate life that's devoid of pleasure or love or, or bonding or closeness. To the contrary, I'm describing one that's much more bonding because instead of just trying to get from her the same thing you could get from pixels on a screen, Instead, what you're doing is you're bonding with her on an emotional level, on a mental level, on a social level, and yes, on a physical level. Now, that's not fulfilling. Why would that not be fulfilling? And ultimately, it's also pleasurable. And in fact, if, I mean, I guess it takes a certain maturity, but that's much more pleasurable than a physical stimulus. It physically feels good. So I guess you got to kind of choose your pleasure. Now, I said before that women should not listen to this. Um, I would say some of the things I'm saying to you tonight, I would say the exact opposite to women. Like, first of all, I don't want them to hear all this stuff about men who are taking from their wives and emotionally vampirizing them and, and sexually looting them. Like, I, I, God forbid, and I think someone just told me that a woman was listening, which I begged them not to, and it caused problems, and now I'm going to have to deal with that after I get off uh, the Zoom, okay? But there's other reasons why I don't want women listening, because based on everything we, we learned about Mishpia Makabal, for a man to look to intimacy as a way of receiving pleasure is only going to end up as disappointment for him. But if a woman hears that message and she wants to be a chassidish woman and so she hears this and she Taub said you know intimacy isn't for fun and for pleasure but it's a deeper kind of pleasure the fulfillment of knowing that you're doing your shlichus in the world yeah that's for a man or a woman's going to hear that and she's going to have all this religious guilt and feel all uptight and think that she's not supposed to experience any pleasure when for her no adarabba <laughs> for her it's the exact opposite when you learn chassidus you realize that so when it comes to mashpia and makabal, yeah, intimacy is different from mashpia than from makabal. I mean, like, you didn't know that before. <laughs> intimacy is different for men than it is for women. Of course it is. And I think this is one of those, those ways. I wouldn't give women a whole big speech about stop looking for pleasure in your intimate life. But for men... You better believe I would talk about it. In fact, I would spend an hour and 48 minutes perseverating on that topic over and over and over again, and I still wouldn't think I said it enough. Hint, hint, I still don't think I said it enough. <sighs> okay. Um, very interesting question here. She tends to want it more often than me. And sometimes I end up taking a more passive role in it. Is that also a reversal of Ishtalshlis? Okay, so listen, I don't want to, I'm not going to call you a guy who's reversing Ishtalshlis. Okay, I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want you to feel bad here. Um, okay, so yes, that does happen sometimes, what you're describing. All right, so first of all, let me just tell you, you're probably in the minority but it's not unheard of. 
And also the longer you're married, you know, when two people are married for many decades, people's uh, desires, the libido, as they call it, push it fluctuates through life, depending on different things. So sometimes one partner is more and sometimes the other partner is more. So yeah, it could happen. So here's what I want to try to tell you, that I want to encourage you as much as possible to try to get ahead of her in that area, meaning she shouldn't feel that she's the active one and you're the passive one. And I understand that in this particular time, her appetite is greater than yours. Okay. That sometimes happens. Yes, that happens. By the way, she had babies yet. Okay. Something tells me that you're in Shona Roshina. Wait until she has a kid or two. Then you you get back to me when you're 35 and <laughs> tell me, oh, I wish I had the question that I had on that Zoom 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Um, yeah. You know, like they say, I told you I'm from Chicago. They say in Chicago, you don't like the weather. Wait a, wait a minute. It'll change. So <laughs> she wants it more often than you do. I don't know. Wait, wait until she has a kid or two. Let, let's see what happens. I, I, I don't think that will last forever. But uh, as long as it does last yet, yeah, really try to be the active one. Um, what do I mean by being the active one? What I mean is, you know, there's <laughs> when a giver is a giver, there's two ways of giving. One is to give begrudgingly. Like the Balabasa says, oh, yeah, I pledged to your campaign. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. All right. Email my secretary. Okay, whatever. You know. And then there's kola nisen, the einyofa nisen. Give, give with a good eye. So even if on an Efejabamas level, maybe you're not as excited right now by the actual intimacy, try to hype yourself up about the giving part of it, that you're doing your shlichus, that ultimately this is, this is as great as Shabbos and tefillin and, and, and any other mitzvah you could think of as being a connection between you and Hashem. This is a mitzvah. This is a connection. And so maybe you won't get into, maybe you're on a very, or you're going to be forced to be on a very high level where your whole motivation will be to fulfill Hashem's desire. But when she wants it and you can give it, then do it. Okay. Give generously and gladly and, 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 Be present. Okay. Um, I think we're way over time. And uh, I think we're going to stop there. I was told uh, someone is writing, can you explain, please? Explain what? <laughs> explain everything I said for the past hour and 52 minutes. What do you want me to explain? What is the Torah view on pleasure? Pleasure in general or pleasure in intimacy? Pleasure in intimacy? 
Does it feel good to eat chocolate? Yes, of course it does. Does it make you holy to pretend that it doesn't feel good to eat chocolate? No, it makes you a faker and a liar. Unless you're a tzaddik like the Altarebbe, who uh, he didn't he didn't have taste buds and he didn't he didn't taste the salt in the soup and he didn't want to take the snuff from the snuff box to learn how to desire good smells. But no, regular people, you put chocolate on your tongue and it and it tastes good. Okay. If you engage in physical acts, certain physical acts, do they feel good? Do they trigger pleasure? Of course they do. In fact, that's why sexual abuse is so confusing, because even if you hate it, it'll still feel good, right? So, of course, these things feel good. And we're not telling you to pretend that they don't feel good. What we're telling you is that's not why you should do them. So, of course, it feels good to eat. But if you eat because it feels good, that's degrading. Of course, it feels good most of the time to be intimate with your spouse. But if you do it because it feels good, on a subtle level, it's degrading. It's not the highest reason for doing it. So of course it feels good, but my motivation has to be something loftier than just the fact that it feels good. So we're not telling you to avoid pleasure because you couldn't if you wanted to. You couldn't if you wanted to. It feels good. Like, again, I said, I, I don't want to talk about triggering things, but like that's why sexual abuse is so devastating because even when you don't want it, it'll still feel good. So how much more so when you do want it, it'll feel good. So it, of course it feels good. And it's not, there's nothing wrong with it feeling good, but don't do it because it feels good. Is that a way to live life doing things based on how good they feel? That's not a fulfilling life. Now, that doesn't mean to not do things that feel good, because that's the opposite extreme. There's the hedonist and the ascetic. So the hedonist does things because they feel good. And an ascetic doesn't do things because they feel good. <laughs> a chassid does the right thing, whether or not it feels good. Doing the mitzvah of marital intimacy generally feels good, but that's not why we do it. We do it because as a man, I'm speaking only to men now, it is the ultimate form of giving. Okay, you givers, keep giving. I'm going to end it here. You guys are awesome. Maybe we'll continue another time. <sighs> Got to go.